0: Hey, this is Andrew from GameHoleCon, and you're listening to Gaming and BS. Welcome to Gaming and BS, episode 89, where we'll be talking about interpreting die rolls, this episode is sponsored by GameholeCon, a tabletop gaming convention occurring in Madison, Wisconsin this November. Get your ass to Gamehole Con and visit com for more info. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Hello, folks. Welcome to the show. Welcome back.
0: Right. Let's get to it. Announcements.
1: Yeah. So uh, we flubbed up. We got a correction. I think we've had a handful of these in our uh, almost 90 episodes here.
0: I uh, I said thanks to baby Dan in Canada from Podbuzz, but I forgot this is kind of an idiot move on me. So if you're a podcaster and you're using Podbuzz, it's a new thing that allows, it emails you notifications of when a review has been left for you on iTunes. So when I got like a notification from Podbuzz, I thought it was actually a website that might carry our show and that baby Dan from Canada listened to it on that channel kind of like Stitcher, and I'm like, whoops. So he actually left it an iTunes review. So now I've put two and two together and he's probably like Podbuzz, what the hell is he talking What's about? What's wrong with these people? <laughs> so, anyways, uh just wanted to clarify that. Well, there we go. Yeah. Sometimes
1: we're we're a little slow, but the horse eventually crosses the finish line, so that helps.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Moving on.
1: Yeah, got a little bit of kind of uh, sad news, I guess, at least sad to me, because I like these guys, and like the show they were doing, but uh, we want to wish Ron Blessing and Christian Serrano all the best as they officially wrap up their run of Savage Bloggers podcast of shows. They uh, wrapped it up on episode 41. Um, Their RSS feed lives on, you can find them on our show, uh, if you go back in our catalog, nine episodes back, episode 80, we pulled those guys in to talk about uh, Savage Worlds, of course and uh Ron and Christian are just they're they're super good guys, they're stand up people. I really hope at some point in the near future I get a chance to game with them and uh meet them in person, either at game hole or Gen Count or something. I think they just uh just hanging out with those guys before and after the show and during the show they're just fucking awesome people i mean they're they're good dudes so uh good luck in the future, boys
0: yeah, good luck, Christian. good luck, Ron. You can catch their last show on episode 41. They did not pod fade. Got to give them that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I would, you know, that's a damn good point. Cause a lot of people pod fade and pod fade, for those of you who don't know, means you basically just stop producing stuff and people go, are they still there? What's going on? Are they there? Um, yeah, they, they came out and said, look, Christian had, uh, changes at work and, uh, time constraints and so forth. And the two of them, they just kind of laid it out and said, look, because of this, we can't, uh can't produce the quality, we can't put the time in, so we're going to do this thing and then officially shut it down. So kudos for stepping up and doing that as opposed to just fading into the woodwork. And they also gave some nice shout-outs to a couple other podcasts that are big in the Savage Blogosphere. So uh, instead of listing listing those here, check out their episode 41, and uh, they'll talk you through it.
0: Yes, and then uh, there is a bunch of podcasts that are hitting milestones, I think uh Emily and senda are are like a year now at over at she's a super geek, so congratulations to them for hitting a year. I think they're they've dropped twenty six episodes oh awesome very cool i'm yeah. be, I'm behind um, on those, so yeah yeah, yeah, good one, good, good stuff uh go over there and listen to those uh folks over there, and then congrats to fear the boot now. If anybody's listening to an RPG podcast and Fear the Boot has not come across your podcatcher um or just even your 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 note your knowledge of RPG podcasts they've done uh they just dropped episode 400 and they've been doing it for 10 years.
1: That's a long time. So my I son is in, my youngest yeah. son is 10 years old. So that's a long time back. That's a very I long think,
0: time. I think Dan and Chad are the only two originals from from number one on, if I'm not mistaken. They've had all good guests, all a lot of history there in that show. Um, and they do, I, I got to hand it to them, they do Top Notch. I know Chris Hussey and uh, the Hus man on Twitter. And he does some work and has sat in on the shows as a co-host there. And um, some good guys talking I mean, 10 years, man. Right, you got you think we got eight eight more years in us? I don't know. <laughs> we'll eight see. A a, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> holy shit, man.
1: We're not doing too bad. I mean, I'm looking at man, you know, we're looking at episode one hundred. I'm sorting out some giveaways, how I want to do a little prize pack type of stuff for listeners, and uh see that four hundred. I'm like, holy crap, what the hell do you what the hell do you do to separate ten years? Celebrating Excuse talk, me, celebrate ten talk years. Talk about
0: GM screens four or five times <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Well, hopefully we won't run out of topics or something crazy. I'll, but I I'll tell know. you what, though, we will not. We will be. We will follow the class act that is Ron and Christian. And uh, if we ever do have to shut it down, we will tell people we're shutting it down. We're not just going to fade away into nothing. That's just stupid.
0: I'm waiting for us to get bought.
1: Yes, that's what's going to happen. Somebody we're gonna sell out? Yeah, we're, yeah. I'm gonna sell, sell hey, I'll sell out. So in
0: case anybody wants to know, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You've got a big trailer full of cash, Sean and Brett. We will talk to you.
0: And the trailer doesn't have to be that big. No,
1: we're, we're uh, simple men. We have uh, simple needs. Yeah, we can do this. doesn't even
0: have to be a trailer. No. Like a small, very small trunk. A thick wallet. I mean. A thick wallet. <laughs> <laughs> a, thick wallet. Uh, a, yeah. dice,
1: a dice bag filled with Sacagawea dollars. We might, we might go <laughs> for that. You never know. My computer's acting up. Maybe you cover the repair costs. Maybe yeah, I, Maybe I sell out. Who knows? That's a good point, Brett.
0: All right, let's get into Random Encounter. Random encounter, an element of the show where we talk in uh, field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Um, we've got a couple, I think, emails, one one email and a bunch of, of folks that have chimed in on the uh, GM screen um, episode, from, and they're all on G+, which I should have probably linked. Why didn't I link that? Anyways, That's you want right. to take uh, the first email, sir?
1: Ooh, this looks like a long one. We got Chris Steele. He emails up... A- Emails us up and says, hey, guys, I recently finished following your advice and started at episode one and listening forward. Chris Steele, solid, solid. I like this guy. I like him a lot. He says a lot of really good stuff and an endless amount of comments I'd like to add. But since most of it would just be on how I agree. Thank you very much, Chris. I'll pick the episode that had the greatest impact on my game. Episode 80. Talk about topical. Going right back to the Ron and Christian episode here. Uh, episode 80, Savage Worlds. This episode led me to rebooting my home campaign in Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds was never a system I considered before because <clears throat> excuse me, I wasn't interested in its flagship setting, Deadlands. After listening to your discussion with Christian and Ron, I picked up the core rules, then a dozen setting books, some accessories, a plane ticket to Chupacabra Con in Austin, Texas, Chris is from Chicago, and ended up hanging out with the entire Pinnacle staff last weekend. It was even in Sean Patrick Fannin's live play video for the RISK Kickstarter, He's Playing Tech. Uh, the character tech in there, if you if you spy that. Uh, the short of it is, Savage Worlds is my new home game, so thanks for the intro to the system. Also, I may jump headlong into things a little too easy, maybe. A game you've referenced fairly fairly often is Amber Diceless. It would be cool if you did a show on this game, and especially how, um, or excuse me, and generally how Diceless games work. Hopefully, I didn't get as cra- Hopefully, I don't get as crazy about it, but you never know. Finally, as a follow up to my last question about keeping players engaged. Although you haven't focused on the issue directly, latency being the, uh, at the table being the closest, you have touched on many of the things that do this as a side effect. Counting last weekend where I played in, two, in uh, two games, I played in exactly two games in the last five years. Between organized play, learning to play as cons, and home games, I GM about 40 to 50 a year. It's easy to forget as a full-time GN how much fun it can be to be part of the team and not know what's going to happen next, and even if you're not the center of attention. So to answer my own question, keeping things interesting, um, make sure each character has a role, even when it's not super active, and the players will have fun as a group. As always, keep up the great work. Chris Steele. Oh, he has a PS. I'll see you at Game Home Con this year. Would love to run a game under the gaming and BS banner if you're still looking
0: for people. So I um thanks, Chris Steele um for writing in. Um I have to check with Josh, the events coordinator at game Hole, I can't imagine that all the slots are full. um We are taking as many people as as are willing to run games at game Hole. hmm absolutely um when you register the game, there is a group name, and all you have to do is like put gaming and b s in there, and Josh will know now the only thing I want to put out there is we have three tables dedicated to us and and our area. The problem is that I don't know if we have four people all running different games at the same time. So if we're
1: popular enough and our listeners hit us up and we've got enough gaming and BS games going under our banner, it's possible that somebody may have to be outside of our little roped off area. Basically is what you're saying.
0: It is what I'm saying. So I put that out there. So somebody doesn't like start, you know, come in and like, Hey, what's up? Why am I like off in, in general gaming or something like that? So we want everybody to game together. I don't know what the slots look like currently. I know some people have filled some of them in on a spreadsheet that we have, but mm-hmm. now it's kind of going to – because I don't want to limit to that. Like oh, I, I'd run a game, but I don't want to run at like 6 at night or 8 at night. We'll tell you, we'll totally just have get. to reach
1: out to Josh. Josh is the games coordinator, as Sean said, at hole We just have to hook up with him. You and I talked about this – off the mic share, I think we'll just yep. uh, reach out to Josh, see how we're cooking and uh, see what we can do.
0: And, and Brett and I are still trying to come up with something to incentivize GMs to run for us. Like we don't want to do it just because you, you're a fan of the show, though we we appreciate it um, and hope that's kind of the root of it. We, we do want to show our appreciation by uh, something other than just a pat on the back. And we've tossed a few things around like drinks and maybe a trip to the game hole or something like that for for some of our gms we'll see it'll be it'll be
1: fun yep we got to figure do. out what we can get away with
0: <laughs> right yeah that's that's the big one so drink is really easy if we have it in a completely different building yeah right i mean but we don't want people to drive you know like walk across the street to get a beer when they're running a game or during the weekend or whatever that is yeah, so we'll
1: have to figure something out
0: we, we we're keeping some well once we figure it out Will you guys will be the first to know for sure? Uh, moving on, so GM screen we'll alternate on this. Brett, you ready? I'm I'm ready. Do it. All right. So this is a lot of these are on the GM screen, whether you use one or you don't. And so I've co- I've got a few comments from some of the folks that had commented on our G plus thread. Um, Tim Stone says, caveat, I haven't listened yet. So at the time of it, it dropping, he hadn't listened. But however, I have opinions and as a general rule, GM screens are important, especially as a tool for quick reference. There is this hipster tear down that wall, no boundaries, no leaders idea that I pretty much dismiss out of hand and is the line where I stop paying attention to the person arguing such positions. Oh,
1: Mo Tusano says, I use them, but I don't sit behind them. Very useful in most cases to uh, limit looking stuff up in books, but I don't like the wall between the players and I.
0: Tim DeShane from Rhode Island. I keep my DCC screen handy for quick reference, but don't always set it up. Sometimes I just leave it folded. Either way, I roll in front of the screen.
1: Roger Brasslett with uh, the screen as a gaming icon. I'd use it even if I didn't want to keep uh, some info away from my player's eyes,
0: but I do. Adam Day, I recently stopped using them, and it's been an eye-opener. A good one, though. I don't have anything to hide from the from my players, and I see little use for them as a quick reference when I have the core book or personalized reference handouts available, which are usually 100 times better than the officially licensed screens I own. Anyhow, I love not having the physical barrier between me and the players. I feel less like an overlord and more like someone at the table sharing their experience, in which case I replied to Adam and told him, uh, less like an overlord, and I told him to forfeit his GM card. Which
1: <laughs> nice. He said he wasn't. He wasn't getting any it's discounts. Not anyway. getting discounts. That's enough of that. Right. All right. The other uh, next up, Tim Jensen, one of our patrons. It depends on the game. Most of the RPGs I play these days don't need one. In fact, the last time I ran D and D, I left the screen lay flat on the table. It was semi useful for reference, but that's it.
0: Carl Kiesler, I use one all the time. Savage Worlds is my go-to system, so I use one of those generic screens that you can put cool art on the player's side. I make those sides custom for each game I run. They are great for convention games. It's like an instant billboard for your game. I always stand when I run. I seldom sit down, so I'm never really behind the screen. It's just there if I want to glance at a quick rule while the players are role-playing. And I have gotten away from rolling behind the screen. I roll out in front of everyone. I like it that way.
1: Matt Martinez, I sort of use GM screens. I don't like having them up in front of me because of the way it separates me from the players, but I do like having the reference materials. If I have enough room, I like to have it standing to the side. Unfortunately, I don't often have enough space at the table for that. Obviously, some screens are better than others. Only about half the D&D 5E screen is worthwhile, while the rest of it really isn't helpful to me at all. Edge of the Empire screen, however, is chock full of great stuff. The only thing missing is a table that shows which characteristics each skill corresponds to. Sometimes I find having loose reference sheets can be just as helpful, to be honest, and they take up less space.
0: Kevin Keneally, just to throw my two cents in, I use GM screens as a reference, and I have an addiction just like Brett B. I try to get a GM screen for each system I have slash run. I got to have it. I struggle with reference sheets because usually I end up with more than one page, and then it's a packet I have to flip through to find what I'm looking for.
1: That's, I feel you, Kevin. That's pretty much where I'm at. Uh, Forrest Gary. Let's not kid ourselves. GM screens are all about the cool art. And there is something about that. I got to go with Forrest on that. There's something. Some of the GM screens has some pretty sexy cool art on
0: them. Joe Swick, patron of the show. I use a GM screen, but I'm a dice fudger. I admit it. But I only fudge to keep players alive. I hide my dice rolls behind the screen and also use it to hide minis and hit points. Tom Bagwell.
1: I uh, usually use a GM screen. Primarily, I use it for reference. Info, usually NPC notes, campaign notes, notes about the PCs I might want to know during play on the outside. I either put campaign-appropriate artwork or info for the players that they may find useful. I never felt the GM screen as being a barrier from either side of it. Honestly, I've never really understood this argument. Unless you hunker down behind it, the screen isn't your barrier at all. It doesn't block my view or my voice. I mean, it I maintain eye contact with the players when I actually realized there were people that felt this way. I asked my players if they felt the same way I did. Still, I suppose it's something to keep in mind to ask
0: future groups. So thanks for everybody for commenting. Uh, let us know whether or not use a GM or DM screen. Yes um, we will have a link to the post on Google+, and if you don't want to post there, you can email us or on our Facebook.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Shall we Let's, shall we move on?
0: Yeah. Interpreting
1: die rolls. What? Yeah. So, here's what I'm talking about. It's that in D&D parlance, a 20 is a crit, 1's a miss, and there's lots of different things. There's ni- you know, numbers 2 through 19, what happens in between? Um, so what I'm talking about here, some systems, say like Edge of the Empire, they have built-in mechanics that stress slash necessitate the reading of the dice to understand the levels and combinations of su- of success and failure. Some systems are more simple and have nothing more than a pass-fail type of result. You either hit or you miss or you succeed or you fail. However, <clears throat> when that type of thing happens, I'm talking more about the the latter type of system. And um, so... When we have a target number in a D20 game, you're like, "Hey, beat a target of 15 or beat a target of 12 or a 20 or something crazy or whatever it is, and we beat that target number or we miss it, we instinctively want to find a way, at least my what I see is to uh, find a way to use the, the degree of pass fail to help narrate the outcome, which I'm pretty sure at least in Brett's brain is where you know games like Edge of the Empire and some of the more narrative based games make you know, make use of that instinct. Now, not everybody likes to play those, and not everybody's group wants to play them. So what I want to discuss here is those types of games when you, again, I'll use D&D as an example. You have a target number of 14. I roll, I add my modifiers, and I get a 15. You're like, you just got over the target number. Or you roll a 13 after all said and done. You just missed. Often instinctively, the game master, or especially the players, want to say, Oh, it was so close. I bet you just, you know, fingers barely grazed the rope before you fell or, or something. And when it's really close, it's easy to narrate a, a squeak, you know, just a squeak through wind, or just barely missed, you know, your hands scrabbling across the rock as you fall down the, the cliff face or something. Or just barely getting the tip of your blade underneath the armor. But... When you miss by five or you miss by four, you miss by three um, or you succeed by three, five, four or three, you know, what should do we do anything with those games that don't have a clear mechanical direction and how to interpret the die rolls? Is there something that you do, Sean, or that I do or uh, should we be doing stuff with that? What do you so it's kind of that if the mechanics aren't there for it, you know, what I'm saying what do you what do we do?
0: So whether it's written into the rules or not is the question.
1: Pretty much. I mean, because <clears throat> and sometimes it can be somewhere buried within the rules like, "Oh, if they make it by 5 or more, you get an extra plus on damage." O- okay, that's that's great. But that doesn't help from a narrative perspective to tell me much of anything. You know what I'm saying?
0: Well, <clears throat> yeah, I think that if in that case I don't think there's a lot of narrative I don't know. Maybe I've I've overlooked it, or maybe I'm just not thinking um, too diligently here, but I don't know how many games narrate, especially combat. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember, like, the last time I read a book about skill checks, and if you succeed or fail by X, is there any narrative component to it? I think it's a lot of it, just degrees at best. Mm-hmm. Right, I don't know if they're. I don't know. So am I? Am I delusional here? No, you, I, no, no. And, and I,
1: part of this comes from I was re, re-reading my uh, my MERP, my Middle Earth role playing, the Old Iron Crown system. I ran a little bit of it this last Friday for some buddies of mine. I'm kicking off a small campaign for that. And in those combat situations, and what are called movement, maneuver, skill checks, and so on, <laughs> there's very clearly defined. Stuff that occurs narrative wise, because it's it's chart master, right? It's roll master. So when you roll something, it'll tell you absolute success, abysmal failure, it'll give you a quick, you know, italic italicized narrative to explain to the characters. Much like critical hit charts, but also for different types of uh skill checks as well and spell checks and so on. That game and games like Dungeon Crow Classics, when you have the hit charts, the crit charts and fumble charts, that gives you a lot of that stuff. Um kind of helps you in those regards, because mechanically it's there. But Sean, like when we're playing D&D, don't you, do you feel on the, when you're a player in Doc's game or something, if you roll and you just barely miss or you, or the, you know, the, the DC to do a thing is 12 and you roll a 15 or you roll a 19. Don't you feel like you totally fucking aced it or like there should, does it feel like that to you or does, or am I crazy in that regard?
0: No, I don't think you're crazy. I don't think it's as—I uh, don't know, man. I don't—I uh, don't—I don't see that happen too often. No, I, I don't. I Your think players just to...
1: sit there and go, "Yep, I failed. Oh, I won. I got it. <laughs> I I it. I missed. I made it. I missed. I made it."
0: And may be a bad example. Maybe we're <laughs> a bad example because I don't know. We we're pretty even keel guys. <laughs> okay. so I don't know what it is. We don't have a lot of emotion in our game. <laughs> no, we're emotionally void. You're I don't just, know what it is. We're just,
1: we're just automatons playing a game. I have hit. I have missed. I have failed to roll.
0: I think my climbing get, check
1: has failed. I have fallen. I take five I, damage.
0: <laughs> I think we get disappointed and perturbed. Like, ah, shit. You know, freaking dice. I'm not even. You know, not even close. Or, or oh, great. You know, another one. Another one. Whatever that is. And I, I haven't seen anybody get overly emotional, except for me. I get pissed off because any any time a d twenty is involved, mm-hmm. uh, which is many games uh since the d20 movement um and i cannot i just can't roll
1: yeah i've seen that (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of funny on this side of the screen when you're running it's kind of funny yeah
0: Yeah, i can't roll to save my freaking life and so to me it's kind of like i'm a bad example because it's just internally over the over time i think i've gotten i've grown frustrated and that i want to chuck all my dice to the ends of the world um and I maybe have become numb to the fact that I have shitty dice. rolls. <laughs> I, had a, so. uh,
1: I had a guy played with Andy. Um, he had a pile of dice in front of him. Every time he rolled a die, if it failed, he goes, fuck it. And he'd throw it over his shoulder. At the end of that night, we played a really long session. He had uh, 15 20-siders laying behind him in a pile. <laughs> he took them home, melted them into a big pile of plastic slag. And when it cooled, he brought it to the game and laid it in front of his other dice as a warning to the other dice that this could I, happen to you.
0: I totally applaud that move, man. <laughs> That's genius,
1: Andy's little. Andy was was a little it weird. effective
0: though? Did it scare the other dice?
1: No, he he would end up chucking dice across the room or whatever. So he's got a pretty big puddle. <laughs> exactly. It's been ages since I've seen or played with Andy, but so you played, you have played Dungeon World though, right?
0: I have, I have, I have run it uh, and played it once.
1: So tell me about the the you know miss with flare or the hit with you know the six plus the you know the fail forward type of thing.
0: Yeah, that's a base kind of mechanic for a Powered by Apocalypse World engine. Mm -hmm. Um, Dungeon World specifically is, um, yeah, you know, succeed, succeed with a setback, and then kind of fail uh, So usually the results. And
1: that kind of goes back to our earlier episode on Edge of the Empire, right? Where you can succeed, but with a drawback or a failure or a disadvantage of some kind, a threat. There could be a threat with a success or whatever. So and we talked about this a little bit when we had talked about well, those type of things. And I think one of the things I started doing as a game master, when I had, I've had players at my table that like you get pissed off or you just, you could just see the pall of disappointment passing in front of Sean's face when he's really goes, yep, I can't fucking hit. Look at that. Yep. Look at another one. I missed, I missed again. And if it's just, and sometimes that it's funny, and sometimes, depending on the player, that can be incredibly frustrating. You can't seem to get anywhere. And I believe, and I've started doing it, knowing that there's systems out there, and in deference to Chris and Phil, right? I mean, if you really, really like this type of thing, you can always go play a better game, damn it. You can play a game that mechanically has this. Right. But if you don't want to or can't or whatever the issue is, there's no reason that for die roll interpretation that you can't, add something in there when that player is con- consistently failing to can't hit anybody in combat there. I have done the, uh, again, using D and D as a, an example, or even uh <sighs> world of darkness and other game systems where it's kind of pass fail type of thing, where if they fail, um, why did they fail? And sometimes the narrative of why they failed is you failed because there was a distraction and you see more goblins coming. Oh my God. Can I say anything? Not till next round. You didn't do anything per se in combat, but you got a clue. You got a hint of something else that's happening, or you weren't able to climb the ladder or the rope in the middle of whatever it was. You, you, you failed your climbing check to get up the side of the wall because you saw a flash of the sniper scope across the, across the alleyway, which gives you an opportunity to yell to your buddy at the top of the, of the wall, get down, you know, type of thing. And I started doing that, um, from just die roll interpretation looking at it going well how badly did they fail especially when they just barely missed if the target was like good give me 3 successes and they got 2 successes in a die pool mechanic or give me a 15 or higher and they roll a 14 or a 13 it's so bloody close and they just can't seem to ever get a break giving them a, a something and i could see in a savage worlds game you know you've got the benny economy and other things and again i'm not as uh, smooth with Savage Worlds as guys like Ron and Christian and uh, our, our buddy Chris Steele now, <laughs> not as uh, smooth with, with Savage Worlds, but there are ways to you know, either give you know get people to use bennies and so forth to push things forward. But in a game that doesn't have a mechanical component, I think that adding narrative fun to it, you can add a little bit of an oomph to the miss or the, or the barely succeed or
0: something like that. Does that make sense? It does make sense, and I think it has to do with the system. So I mean, there are systems that do incorporate that. Mm-hmm. Dungeon, uh, powered by Apocalypse World, typically does that. Star Wars: Edge of the Empire or Age of Rebellion, the FFG line, I guess. Yeah. Um, D twenty, the only thing that that does is the the crit, the confirmed crit. So you hit, and then if you got to confirm it, then you hit even harder and and more. I don't know. A confirm my it's just stupid. Well, it's, but it's the rule. <laughs> I know of the it's game, the rule. It is the rule. Know? Otherwise, there, you know, that's the big for the, for the much of the 2000 era. Um, that was the 500 pound gorilla. No, I get it. It. Didn't, it didn't incorporate that. But I do, I do think that GMs that want to kind of elaborate and make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. It goes to what you're saying, Brett. You, you, you know, what's the degree of failure and I think or, or success for that matter?
1: Exactly. And if you, if you know the, the core system, so if we take five E D and D five E, you have advantage, you have inspiration. There's those two, <coughs> excuse me, mechanics that are pretty damn core, especially advantage is very, very core to the system. If I have failed, I may be able to get advantage on the next thing because of some reason. Um, and I, so kind of an a way to award or give somebody you know a reason to keep trying. And the reason I'm saying this is because and you bring you brought this up, is that if it's up to dice and your dice are just murdering you, some and this isn't just to placate the player who is pouty and doesn't and just frustrated like Sean. Um I'm kidding, <laughs> that his dice don't roll well.
0: I get pretty freaking pissy.
1: <laughs> but I think by by throwing the narrative twist, and it talks about that in earlier versions of D and D many game systems, you'll try to narrate the combat. It gives you some ideas or hints or whatever it is. And the near miss and the near hit are pretty easy, um, at least in, in my opinion. They're, they're easy to say. Well, you just you just barely missed, or you missed, and here's a little advantage for you, and you won, but you know possibly a disadvantage or something along those lines. I, I think what happens. There's a certain point when you, if the DC is 10 and you get a 17, it's not a critical, you know, it's nothing crazy, but it's a lot. I mean, that that's quite a bit above. And I tend to think in fives um, just because of, I, I suck at math, English and philosophy major here. So math is, fives is faster for me or doubling. And so kind of in my head, regardless of the system I'm using, if you beat something a target number especially, if you beat it by twice, or you know five greater than, I feel that from a narrative perspective that I owe maybe owes a bad word here but I, I want to bring something extra to the table. And it, again, if you miss it by twice or you miss it by a, by a category of five, I want to bring something narratively extra to the table. Does that make sense? Yes. It's just, a, like I said, it's, it's an, a, an ad hoc rating. Now, the other piece, which I have started doing over the years, and I did this re- even before I ever played Edge of the Empire with you, but is to, it's a source the table concept, right? Sometimes if, even if you don't ask the players, if you're observant and you're paying attention, you're listening, um, somebody does something and one of the players will say, oh my God, I bet this is what happened at least in the groups I play with, it becomes an instinctive thing. People are like, oh, so close. I bet you just slipped, but I i, I bet you're probably like holding on to the bottom of the rope. You weren't quite able to make it. You look at Kevin and go, yes, that's exactly what happens. That's really good stuff. If you want to, then you could throw an inspiration point at him, or you could give him a Benny or, or whatever. <clears throat> but when somebody gives you at the table, when they're narrating something cool like that, if it's just happening, don't be afraid to latch onto it and say, "Yes, that's exactly what happened." Sean, that's beautiful. Yes, that's that's totally how that worked. And because sometimes you can, ha- you may have to uh, manually source the table by physically asking them, "What do you think happened?" or "Could you give me a description?" But I have found that the groups I'm playing with quite often um, will instinctively come up with examples. And some of that sourcing just happens automatically. And again, I'm fortunate that the group I'm with uh, plays really well together, especially my home group. And even in, uh, in our edge of the empire game, we source stuff back and forth pretty rapidly. Hey, I bet this happened or I bet that happened. And, um, and what I'm playing with uh, Chris Nizak and some of the other folks on a little project I'm working on with him, we source back and forth pretty rapidly, I feel. And uh, he doesn't, I don't think that you have to automatic necessarily have to ask everybody what happened, If you're paying attention to the table. Does that I rambled there, but do you follow me or no?
0: I do follow you, but I don't um
1: You don't you don't game with that crowd, do you?
0: (laughs) I don't facilitate that at my table.
1: I don't like that. I don't like people tell me what happened.
0: GM's job. Damn it. players. Players don't
1: step on get on back on on your side of the screen, you little bastards. Get off my lawn.
0: (laughs) Damn um, damn gamers. I think over time, though, a lot of a lot of players. I would be interested to hear um, from some of our listeners. I'd like to hear from you on on whether it's just kind of the pass fail thing. Like if you're playing in a system and it has, like Edge of the Empire has success and failure and um, triumph and all that, right? Disadvantage. And Dungeon World and Powered by Apocalypse, great, I get those. But if you're playing like GURPS, if you're playing D&D, D20, do you or have you incorporated anything like this? I think my take is that it's very, roll. Did you make it or not? No. Okay, you failed. Did you make it? Yes. You succeed. Done. And I think that what happens over time, is they get into a new system like Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, Force and Destiny and then it's a different mechanic and people have a hard time getting over that pass fail. Now, I could be totally wrong. I could be totally off my rocker. You know, Brett could have, you know, you could have Supergroup Mike Brett <laughs> and they they come up with the narrative depending on the degree of success or failure and it's sourced at the table, but I would be interested to know how many are just kind of like, oh, yep, didn't make it. Or, oh, yep, smashed him in the face.
1: So I'll tell you what, though. I mean, while you were saying that, this came to my mind in that from a speed of play perspective, depending what you and your group are after, right? If you're sometimes there's plenty of narrative and other aspects of it. But when it becomes, especially when it becomes a skill check or I, I guess when the dice are speaking as opposed to, I'm role playing. When the dicer tell me, did I did I <clears throat> did I uh, seduce the town guard so much that he let me uh, distract him so the rest of my party could get in, or did I was I able to bribe the waitress so that she would tell me whatever? Some players don't want to role play everything. So right, sometimes a pass fail can be very simple. Where you can go, no, it didn't work. And the other <laughs> piece, and this may be an ugly truth in a way to people who are very big a narrative, is that a pass-fail is fast. Did you get it? Yes yeah, or no? And true. then you move on. Yeah. So from a speed perspective, sometimes stopping to narrate every pass or fail and then working on gradients of success and gradients of failure is can be time-consuming. And if your group isn't into that or you have a player who's not into that, um, it it, it's, it can slow things down or be perceived as slowing down your game. If um,
0: I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with that, Brett. Yeah, and it's funny because now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to like a game, that I'm going to run, and I'll bring like a bag, and in that bag is going to be like, like a pop cap, okay, uh, maybe a shark's tooth, uh, and hey. <laughs> uh, and a bunch of other crap, and then I'm just going to grab them, put them in my hand. You go, okay, time to interpret. <laughs> You're just kind of rolling and the bones. Click, roll click. the bones, and then I'm going to throw it on the table, and then I'm just going to dictate what's, what happened or not. Like, okay, hold on a second. Ah, yes, I see it now. Which, Your character. Which
1: is no different than Edge of the Empire, really, with crazy symbols on dice.
0: That's true. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the only difference is that nobody would be able to interpret what the hell I'm doing. What's
1: no different? We can't do it now. I mean, I play in your games.
0: I know we don't know what the fuck's going on now. Oh, you guys roll the dice and <laughs> there's symbols. I'm talking about rolling like a shark's tooth and bottle caps and all this other crap. Hey, why
1: not? Get some yeah, chicken man. get some chicken entrails, just kind of move it around.
0: Yeah, man. It's like uh what is augury. it? Uh, voodoo. <laughs> yeah. Oh voodoo.
1: Yeah, go just old school augury. That's it. Bring the sheep. Let's just take care. I'm not <laughs> Exactly <laughs> throw it down. No, seriously, though, I think – so there is most likely a sweet spot that your group and you probably may or may not enjoy. And that doesn't mean – again, you're not having bad, wrong fun. If the group is like, look, I just want to know, did I do it or not? And some of it comes to how you approach your characters and some how you approach your NPCs. If you speak in character, you act in character, and you work in character, um, more narrative seems to be natural. If it's very third party, you know, Ragnar goes up and asks the bartender – a question about this? I'm willing to bribe him. What do I roll to see if I do it? Some people find that very flat and boring and not very immersive and so on. Other people don't give a fuck, and that's just how they want a game. That's how they like gaming. And those games can move along at a fairly rapid clip. Pass fail, pass fail, pass fail, pass fail. You know, I, I go, I try to go left, that fails. I go right, that succeeds. I go left, that wins. I go straight, that works. Um, there's probably, I believe, people have a little bit of a mix in between. You know, I don't think everybody is hardcore pass fail. And that's just it. You just walk through the you know clickety click click, and not everybody is crazy. Narrate the shit out of everything, but um, I, I think in my head, as I said, when I see dice, when I'm playing a new system, or even when I'm just playing, and somebody succeeds by twice, they fail by twice, or they by five or close to five, up or down, and sometimes it's just a gut feeling. And sometimes it's an opportunity for me to say, you know what, Sean hasn't had any dice fun or you know success or failure enjoyment other than he hasn't been able to hit anything. He's very frustrated in a D20 type of system or a system that doesn't encourage um, you know succeed with a threat or or something like that to steal that from another system and throw him a bone so that he feels like he's accomplished something that evening. I think it's worth. I think it's worth doing.
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think it's bad. I just. Uh, I think it's very. Um, in most systems, I think in most tables, I'm going to guess that it's going to be driven by the game master. Not always, but probably, and that it'll just be kind of an add on, a little flair, if you will. Yes. Right, like you know, Brett's rainbow boa. A little flair. A little flair. Yeah. Right. And I only
1: and I only bring that out on Edge of the Empire nights
0: right it matches, yes. it
1: matches my character's vest
0: and nobody appreciates that more than myself exactly maybe kevin does i don't know i kill in that rainbow bow by the way oh man anyway i think i
1: your question though is, is valid i'm i'm interested to see it's goofy because we talked we alex gave me shit oh interpreting dice rolls but you look at a fucking die <laughs> it says 20 you hit or you missed
0: right and i think it's gonna be a short episode i rolled a 17
1: <laughs> <laughs> what what does that mean it means a one and a seven 17 you moron Interpreting die rolls. <laughs> that's that easy. Interpreting die rolls. Was stupid. There's a number
0: on it. You read yeah. it. It's, I'm interpreting it as a, a one and a seven, which is 17. Yes. Interpreting die rolls and morons like Brad. But I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think what you're getting to is a little bit different than the. Die roll. Yeah, so.
1: because like I say, when when something happens, and again, many games, uh, oftentimes small book games and indie games or whatever, and even some of the newer ones, strongly encourage when something is close or missed or whatever, but for those OSR fans and so on, a lot of it is you you hit or you miss, you succeed or you fail, and... I believe, at least what I see at the games I play, regardless of who I'm playing with, when it's close or perceived close, like, oh, I only missed by four, or wow, I just succeeded. I only made it by five, or I only made it by two or three. I I believe that when you hear that from your players, excuse me, if you're on the Game Master side of the screen, and you hear that from your players, assuming you use the screen, of course, when you hear that, somebody's asking you either to give them something cool with that, Or for permission to, you know, provide some narrative. Sometimes, again, from a social contract perspective, it's not like we all sit down and say, okay, what kind of narrative do you like? And if I do this, you know, when that happens and you're hearing that, it's a natural way to, I believe, to start the sourcing the table type of engagement. Yeah, you did barely make that. I'll bet what happened is this. And so we, but yeah, that totally is what happened. Great. You got a little bit of narrative out of it, took you about that long, and you moved on. And the next time something like that comes up, the player saw that worked. The game master saw the players enjoyed that, and then you can keep it going. And if you have a player who doesn't give two shits about that, like, no, I missed. It's no big deal. I'll try again next round, I guess. And it's not just, you know, Sean or Brett being belligerent because we can't roll dice today. It's like, no, nah, that's cool. Whatever. Because not everybody at the table is there for the same reasons. If somebody just wants to pass or fail and, and move along, that's fine. Um, and if they go, yeah, I just had a shitty night tonight. I couldn't roll for crap. Maybe, maybe, maybe better next time. That's fine. Maybe they don't want the extra narrative, and they're fine without it. But when someone brings it up at the table, uh, especially when the players throw it at you as the game master, I think it's worth latching on to a little bit and exploring it. Uh, maybe. maybe. You don't like players. Well, so I mean, that's your
0: problem. I think if you give them an inch, you give them a mile, Brett. And I think shit would get out of control real fast.
1: You don't want to pass that much control to players, I guess. I mean, really? Well,
0: come on. we Look, players, they play. GMs, they GM. I mean, come on. Yeah. And if we start
1: blurring those lines, what's next? Cats and dogs living together? Mass hysteria?
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You hit it right on the head, my man. Arg. I I, know. I'm willing. Hey. It's the 21st century. I'm willing to
1: give a little. All right. Maybe. You heard it here. You heard it here. Sean may or may not I, let you- I'm, uh, I'm open. I want to be more open-minded. You may actually be able to trade in one of your train tickets for a plane ticket. and oh, you can.
0: Oh, oh did I someone say train. say train?
1: There we go. There we go.
0: Train. Train. Anyway, I think next time, I think I'm gonna have a different sound effect next time.
1: You gotta have a different one, a little little air horn or something on it. Yeah, a little yeah, a little train horn. So seriously yeah. though, I'm I'm curious. And one of the um, one of our listeners, Savage,
0: Savage Worlds has raises, by the
1: way. That's true. Yep, it. yep, yep. And I know again, I'm not talking about the game systems that have this built in mechanically.
0: Oh, you're talking about the ones that don't. The, yeah, I, I'm, the, the I'm, crappy I'm, ones that don't. Yeah, the ones that just suck. Like who plays those? I totally blow because they don't have. <laughs> like the degrees of success
1: and I and this is I I think it's a thing like I say I I believe instinctively people when you see certain degrees of failure or success we want to add a little bit and that and some people say I don't need a mechanic to do that I'm already doing that I'm curious as to how right what the guide rule is that people have as I say in Brett's head when I see doubling or by five or sometimes just a gut feel that I want to add a little something, a little flair to the to the event. I'll add some extra narrative, and that's totally fine. And some of that's just GM skill or player skill. I'm curious if other people have, um, I guess, a rule of some sort, even if it's just a guideline in their head. Maybe we've never written it down, or You've never thought about it. This is just "quote unquote" how I do it. That's fine. I'm uh, put a little thought to it and let us know what you think. Let us know what you're doing and how. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, and
0: if you're playing a game that doesn't have it built in, it's not a crappy game. No, no, it's not. It's just me shooting my mouth off. <laughs> Exactly.
1: Well, we've all, played, we've all played the games that have them and the games that don't, and I've had fun playing. I, I, I've yet to find a role-playing game I've not had fun playing. I mean, I've enjoyed the system, like the original Rifts, uh, the Palladium system. I don't like the system, Um or actually, I don't like the world as much. as the system. I mean, the system's okay. But anyway, I mean, I don't necessarily like... I have fun playing it, though. I, mean, I have a good time hanging out with my buddies and the men and women I game with. It's always fun. I've never had a horrible experience doing that, at least very few. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Anyway, short version, all the games can be fun. I'm just curious, for those that don't have the mechanic in it, how are you doing it? Because I really think a lot of us men and women out there who are game masters are adding a little bit of extra narrative flair based on what the dice are telling us. We're doing a little bit of what you say, you know, shark teeth, bottle caps and the, uh, you know, the nose of a goat or whatever it is. We've gotten a little pouch. We throw it on the, on the raw deer hide to read the ruins. I think they're, I think we're doing something and I'm wondering how people are doing it. If it's just instinctive or uh, if they've got a little uh, method to the madness, we'll see.
0: Yeah, let us know uh, if you don your rainbow colored boa and bring some flair to the table. I also have a green boa too, which I wear on occasion. And hey, and well, I do. You wear and well. <laughs> oh, somebody!
1: I think I think what was Miss um, Dr. Mark had a thing a while back. They were talking about. I think it was talking. No, no, no. They're talking about talking games and somebody was telling a story about they were gaming with a person who put a bottle of whiskey and a and a pistol on the table and uh <laughs> I just want to say for the record I've never actually done that I've never Is it a real
0: I think I heard that one but were they talking about a real pistol I don't know
1: but I've never actually put a bottle of whiskey and a pistol on the table I may have put one or the other on the table but never at the same time because that's just bad Yeah yeah
0: This isn't the Wild West man No 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 what The hell <laughs> Anyway, die roll. Yeah, die roll, man. Miscellaneous uh, topics of gaming and geekery we want to bring to your attention. Brett has three. I have three. Brett, as always, I'll start it off. Youth before beauty. Oh, yes, thank you. I have it on both
1: counts. Um, seems it's a, it's uh it's possible that the European medieval flail. You know the old uh, what, the old ball and chain on the on the end of a stick. May, is that what
0: that thing is? Yeah, may never I've been playing D anD D all these years and never knew what that never knew what that was. It may have actually never been
1: used in combat. May have simply been a ceremonial ah. something. Got a little link in the show notes. It's uh, people uh, have been digging what? into it. Yeah, and uh, won't
0: that mess up a lot of D anD D history? As you used a uh, flail,
1: who the hell? that thing's not even a real weapon. <laughs> it's interesting when you look at it. You're like, why would you? <laughs> If you've ever used weapons in martial arts training or anything like that, there's a certain point when you look at that and go, why would I want that? That looks like it'd be a bad idea. Right. I've always, I, I should say always, in my uh, more adult years now, um, like in the last year, basically, um, I looked at the, the medieval flail and I'm like, I don't think, I think that was just ceremonial. That looks fucking dumb. I don't think anybody in the right mind would use that in a combat.
0: I don't know why you, w- why would you? Like, just- I know people will say if you hold something up like a sword right across you. Yeah. Right, with it would wrap around it and smack you. It in would the, wrap like like a nunchuck, right? Yeah, right around it, bonk, right on the. Except head. Except that I
1: nunchucks just, are small agricultural weapons used to you know anyway. But yes. your European one with like a long chain, the chances are though that you would miss. It would rebound in some weird it
0: ricochet type area. you something.
1: in the hit you in wow. that face and the throat, you know, crotch. you. it'd be a terrible weapon.
0: So anyway, the, read yes, up. The on nunchuck it. is very nimble, but yes, not yes. not quite the same. No, but that's The thing probably weighs like what? 16 pounds. I don't know. It? I don't know. Frickin swinging around a spiked steel metal ball. It just doesn't
1: seem like a good idea. No, what I, I'm saying. I,
0: I always wondered about that stupid weapon.
1: Yep. Yeah. The other one I have is some weird skeletons found beneath a London orphanage. This is one of those pieces that you, you read up, read through it here. It's a little, uh bit of cryptid cryptids and so on. It It's, Classic, oh my God, we found something. What is it? And uh, these types of little real world things that occur always spark some really good adventure ideas to me. And the last one is I love Legos. My kids and I are, are love playing Legos and building and changing, always have. And there is a um, a gentleman made a uh, Japanese style castle um, out of Lego. And the way he's set it up, it opens up like a pop up book and it's freaking gigantic. Um, So it's really cool. Take a look. It's a little video and watch, watch the guy open it up and the whole thing sits up and then collapses down gently. It's really, really cool looking. Love me some Lego. Man,
0: there's some people that some has some (laughs) crazy amount of time on their hands. Yeah. It's like creative as hell, but
1: damn, creative and engineering powers that went into figuring that out. Cause my son, AJ goes, how do you do this? Well, he had to use a lot of those hinge hinge pieces and so forth. And he said, do you think you could do it? I'm like, oh, hell no. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have I don't have the time or the engineering know-how to design that thing. I can comprehend AJ, how he did it, but
0: AJ needs to go to the school of engineering and then just do that thing.
1: He's actually he came in today and said, "Dad, can I borrow your monster manual? I got to make a dungeon for next weekend." I said, all right.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought he was going to make like an actual physical dungeon.
1: I- I he, I don't
0: know. We'll find out what Maybe the we'll is. Out Maybe what, that's why he needs the monster. We'll baby.
1: find out what the basement looks like tomorrow.
0: <laughs> Go down there and have it be like full of paper mache monsters. If I fall, some dungeon,
1: if I fall down a ten foot pit trap on some spikes, you'll know what next, happened to me.
0: Next week's die roll. Well, my first one. AJ, local kid, <laughs> creates a dungeon in a guy's house with paper mache monsters. Father had heart attack. <laughs> Father's found dead t- or tied up in chains.
1: Um, yes, (laughs) he's told he's allowed to get out when Ilana, his younger sister accomplishes the fifth room or something. Anyway, Sean, over to you, man.
0: 200 word RPG roundup contest winners announced. So a few months ago, I think we listed it as a die roll and now they're actually done and completed. So you can actually look up who won. Um, and we'll have a link in the show notes and congratulations to all the people that submitted and finished it. And, uh, came up with something creative and the ones that actually won. Very cool. Happy birthday, Pac-Man. <laughs> How old <laughs> is that little ghost gobbling <laughs> bastard? How old is he? He's he's up there, man. 1980? Was that what it was?
1: Holy crap.
0: Yeah, it was- uh, <laughs> Yeah, 1980.
1: April- oh, Excuse me, May 22nd, 1980.
0: I remember it like it was just yesterday, Brett. I could I could see that.
1: Elderly men like you- Looking back, <laughs> Sean's not that much older than I am, by the way, just in case somebody cares.
0: Hey, man dies in tragic motorcycles. Oh. oh, hey, I'm
1: just kidding. Podcast, just kidding. podcast partner punches from
0: fellow. B and S, no longer. Uh, Number three, Dungeons and Dragons as therapy. So on Geek and Sundry, they did a small article on the use of Dungeons and Dragons in therapy and how I think this is just kind of like um, there are some people that have written articles about it, helping um, children with autism. Um, some people um, have found found it as a resource for dealing with depression. And so I think the Geek and Sundry article is just kind of saying how D&D is being used as a type of therapy. Um, so I'll put that in link in the show notes. And that was published just the 19th of May. So it's not an overly outdated article, but... Um, hey, man, if our hobby makes us happy and can help others, I mean, big, big bonuses. Absolutely. All over, man. Plus five on happiness.
1: <laughs> exactly. Interpret that in your die roll.
0: That's right. Boom. Bam. All right. What are we doing next week, Brett? Next
1: week, thanks to Chris Steele, we're going to talk about keeping players engaged. As he pointed out, we have brought up bits and pieces. We talked about kind of the facts that different things have, but I want to talk about it a little bit more, a little more detail in there.
0: Excellent. Can't wait. I want to thank London Drake for the review on iTunes and not PodBuzz. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, London Drake. Absolutely. For, thank uh, you for, for doing that. Thank you
1: for the review, sir. Or, madam. Yes.
0: yes. This show brought to you by patrons like Joe Swit, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian Sexy Voice, Serranos, Jeff Rademacher, Forrester Gary, Misdirected Mark, Brett's Biggest Fan, Mark Anthony Benedetti, uh, Tony Baker, Pladian, Corey Wynn, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Durl, the Knights of the Night crew, Jason the Beard, Blaylock. Oh, yeah. Yes. Thanks for doing that, Jason. Welcome aboard. Thanks for doing that. And Remy Belladeau. Awesome. That's, I'm sure it's French and I'm just butchering the crap out of his name.
1: Thank you, Jason. His or her name, Good. actually. Jason right. and Remy, new. Awesome. Very yes. cool.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Consider becoming a patron of the show at gamingabs.com forward slash Patreon. It costs like a buck an episode. And if you buy Starbucks, it's one coffee a month.
1: There you go.
0: Otherwise, Thanks for tuning in. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And
1: I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.